The title of my message is The Secret Place. The Secret Place. You can write that down if you're taking notes. But this message is really all about developing our relationship with God. Last week was an acknowledgement that we hide from God. Even though we're in Christ, even though many of us have given our life to Christ and relationship has been connected because of what Jesus did, we don't have to connect, connect it ourselves by doing good or trying harder. Jesus connected it. We get to develop and cultivate it. And so we talked about sometimes we still hide from God, even though Jesus has done everything that's necessary to bring us to God. So it's important to know that we shouldn't and can't, don't need to hide anymore because of what Jesus has done. But I want to get kind of practical uh, this morning and talk to you uh, about how to develop our relationship a little bit, maybe just the context uh, for it. If you have a Bible, you can open it to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter, chapter 6. I'm only going to share a couple verses. Uh, we, we have just a little bit of time and I think that these verses are very potent, and they have some things in there that I think will help us learn how to, right where we are, develop our relationship with God, which is not only what we need, but it's really at the very core of our heart, I believe it's what we want. If you're a Christian and you've said yes to Jesus, at the very core, the center of who we are, we want to develop a close relationship with God. And in this life, we tend to get stuck or held back or distracted, and God is continuing to awaken us to who he is and what he's like. He loves us so much, and he wants to spend time with us, and he wants us to, to know that. He wants to draw us to himself, and, and we need to be uh, awake uh, to that. And one of the things I was pondering this week it, uh, as I was preparing for the message was I was thinking about some of the phrases that we use in Christianity or Christian circles. Now, you heard this or maybe said this. I know I've said it many times, even I think I said it last week even. And that is we say things like this, you know, Christianity is not about a religion. It's about a all right, you guys are a little bit more awake than last service. That's just a wonderful blessing. But anyways, they're, they're good people. They're really good people, okay? They're really good people, you know, but just I couldn't hear, but, you know, they're good, you know what I'm saying. So, but anyhow, in, in, in one of the things we say is, is that Christianity is not about religion. It's not about performance. It's not about striving, but it's about a relationship. And I started to think that if relationship is the way in which we qualify Christianity, how is your relationship with God? I'll just let that kind of settle out here for a minute. It's an amazing thing, right? So, like, we, we're really good, and I think in Christian circles, we're really good at saying what Christianity isn't. And then we kind of say, like, in a categorical way, we say, this is what Christianity is. But when we start talking about the details of what that means, I think we, we sort of come up short. What do, you, what do you mean? I'll give you an example. When, as a pastor, I ask people, how are you doing in your relationship with God? You know, I'd, say, I'd say it's fair to say 75% of the time that I ask that question I have a, a negative type of response. So that's just kind of what it is. You, you know, deal with it the way we want to, but that's a reality. Like, hey, how's your relationship with the Lord? Uh, you, know, uh, you know, I'm really, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. Uh, it's getting a little better. You know, this is a difficult season. I hear a lot of these kinds of things, and there's a reality to that. It's, I'm not taking away from it. I'm just stating sort of a mere fact that when I ask this question, this is what I, this is what I hear. But see, we, the, we get the phrases right. We get the phrases right. Like, Christianity is not about a religion. It's about a relationship. And if it's about a relationship, which it is, 
then let's talk about how to have a close relationship with the Lord. Let's talk about what steps need to be taken on our end. We don't, have to, we don't have to connect ourselves to Jesus. We say yes to his death, burial, resurrection. He's the one that makes the connection. But we do get to cultivate the relationship from the point of connection. See, he allows us to prioritize our, our time. He allows us to make decisions on whether we're going to read the Bible or not, whether we're going to be intentional, whether we're going to go to the place of prayer or not, or serve or not. He allows us to cultivate what he has connected. So we have to dis- discuss what it means to take the steps of relationship uh, with the Lord. And we do that. The way that we understand relationship with God is by looking to Jesus, of course, in Scripture. See, because what we see in Jesus, what he modeled and what he taught, really does lead us to a very practical, a very simple place of how it is that we walk with the Lord. And I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing uh, adventure when you read the Gospels in particular and then from there. But in, in, in the scriptures, in the Gospels at least, 13 times the Bible talk, it references Jesus going up to the mountain. And if, if you've ever been to Israel, they're not like, we, I mean, when we say mountain, we're thinking mountain, right? But when in Israel, they're sort of like a mountain, right? They're just sort of like a... Like, like mountain lowercase. So, but anyways, Jesus would go up onto the hill, <laughs> the hill, and he would go up to the hill and he would, he would spend sometimes all night with God. He would spend the whole night with his father and the disciples watched this. This is what they saw when they saw Jesus uh, ministering and doing what he did. It was like, where's Jesus? Oh, he's up on the hill. And they got used to that. And I, I, I'm sort of just thinking in my mind, like, what did they think was going on up there? I bet they were like sitting around the campfire talking to each other. Hey, Peter, what do you think? What do you think's going on up there on the mountain, buddy? And, and they probably had specula- they were probably speculating about it. They probably had some bets going. You know how they are pretty competitive people. And so, so this is what was, this was a normal model, normal example is that Jesus spend time, spends time with the Father. It's normal. It's what they saw. And it's a model for us. As I talked to you this morning about the secret place, It's really clear that Jesus had a secret place with the Father, and he lived out of the secret place. What he did in ministry and what he did in life came out of the secret place that he had with the Father. He had it. How much more do we need it? We need a secret place. What are you talking about when you say secret place? I'm glad you asked that question. What I mean is is I'm talking about a specific specific place or part of our life, really our whole life, but we're devoting our time and attention to God when nobody else is around. It's just between us and him. There's a privateness to the beginning parts of our relationship, and we live out of that place in prayer and scripture and worship and the things that we value here at, at Mill Creek Foursquare, the things that you value. And I want to call us back to the secret place. And I, and I pray prophetically that it's God's voice today that's speaking to us saying, I long to be with you. I long to sit with you. I long to speak to you. I long to have a place with you. This is what I want with you. This is why Jesus came for you and for me. And this is what we're talking about this morning. The secret place is, is where we hear God. It's where we talk to him and we, li- and we live out of this place. And I, I just sort of, this assumption that I have maybe is that many of us get stuck living in the public place before we ever have a secret place. And you know, that's unsatisfying, Right? It's unsatisfying in our spirituality, our spiritual journey, our life in general. It is an unsatisfying experience when all we have is the public place, that this is our spirituality. It's unsatisfying. 
It absolutely is. It's boring, it's unsatisfying, and it's not what we were created for. We were created for a real relationship with a real God who showed us that he would do anything to bring us back to that very thing. And he wants to cultivate it first in the secret place so that when we come out into the public place, we're just living out of that, manifesting all that that was and is, and having all good things to share with everybody else. No striving, it just flows like vine and branches, that's what Jesus talked about in John chapter 15, that he's the vine and we're the branches. And when we abide or when we remain or when we stay connected, that fruit is born on our branches. Fruit comes to bear. Fruit comes out of our life. Fruit is love and joy and peace. And, and we strive for that when we don't have this connection with the Lord. We strive for it. We want it to be the case. We try hard. And it doesn't happen because it comes from a deep abiding connection with Jesus Christ. He is life. He is love. He is the prince of peace. These things flow through our life when we're well connected to him. So it's not something we need to do feel, feel guilty about what we're not having. I want to inspire, if I can, I want to inspire and encourage you to draw back to the secret place where God is clearly speaking to us, where God is wanting to develop his, this relationship that he has offered us in, in Jesus and it's no longer just a comment that we make, well, Christianity is about relationship. But you say it with a smile. You say it with a gaze. You say it with a drawn heart. Christianity is about relationship. It's not, it's not about religion. See, we, we're good at that. <laughs> Rules and, and regulations. Well, of course. And I, I've got this personal opinion, and I think it's a good one. I think it's a good one. <laughs> but I think that it's not hard to talk, to evangelize when you're in love. I don't think it's hard to talk about Jesus when you're in love with Jesus. And we, we teach people, you know, principles and all this stuff, you know, it's like, hey, you just got to do this and walk across here and open your mouth for this. I'll tell you, man, when you're in love, you, it's like you can't stop talking about somebody. Somebody that's married, say amen. <laughs> it's like, I can't stop talking about my spouse. I'm so in love. <laughs> I'm going to talk about marriage this morning, actually. I'm going to just change the conference here. Uh, no, no, I want to, uh, we, have our, we have our Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to read in verse, verse 5. Uh, this, is, this context is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7 is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It, it's probably in what many would esteem as some of the most important teachings of, of Jesus' ministry. And all of his teachings are important, but this has some very uh, key things that Jesus is teaching on kingdom life. He's, he's really uh, not, not just, he's not bringing necessarily new teaching, but he's bringing back the heart of what really the law was all about. And he's interpreting it in, in a new way because a new covenant is about to be established through his death, burial, resurrection. And I, I just want to zero in on a little piece uh, that he shares in the middle of, of the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to read in verse 5, it says this. Should be There it is, bam. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites. Jesus is talking here. You're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. If you have a Bible and a pen, you should underline, so that they may be seen by men. That's their motivation. It's what they want. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. They, they get to be seen by men. That's, that's what they wanted anyways. But you, when you pray... Go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And another version says he will reward you openly. 
And verse 7, and when you, go, when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is really a, a potent couple verses and something that we notice right away that's connected to my title and the reason I'm sharing with It says this in these verses, your Father who sees in secret. Your father who sees in secret. In Matthew chapter 6, before and beyond this verse that we're reading, it actually says your father who sees in secret three times. And he's saying it in reference to three virtues. And the first one is your father sees your giving in secret. And then he says your father who sees your prayer life in secret. And then he says your father who sees your fasting in secret. And he's, he's trying to help them that it's not about what other people see. It's about what God the Father sees. It's about having something that, no, what, that nobody else is invited into at, at its very root system. Jesus had it. He was teaching them this is what it was all about is that you need to live for what the Father sees and not simply just by what other people see. Jesus wasn't saying that public spirituality is wrong because this isn't what we're doing here. This isn't wrong. But if it's all we have then it's, then it's going to be it's gonna, it's somehow corrupted in a way. And that's exactly what happened in the world in the, which Jesus was teaching, is that it wasn't that the law was wrong, it's that it start, corruption started to seep into people's hearts because of, uh, because of where they were at and how they were living before God. It wasn't that some of the, the substance of it was wrong, it was that the way that it got interpreted and the way it got lived out began to corrupt the, the spirituality of those that were that we're living in that, in that time. I just want to pull out a few principles that I think are really important as we sort of look at this together and desire to develop a secret place. And before I share this, I just want to kind of say this, okay? I, I was praying this week, and I just thought, you know, like, here's one thing I cannot do this morning. I can't make you love Jesus. I want you to love Jesus with all your heart. Okay, I do. I, I, I mean, we can't, we, can't do, we, we can't make that happen. But I'll tell you, like, One thing I don't want is I don't want an obligatory relationship with God where I have to. I want to to see Jesus for all that he really is. He's invited. That's that's what I'm talking about right there. (laughs) See, I can't, I I can't, I can work really hard to try to inspire, but but if it's not, there's not already a level of a flame in our hearts saying, I want to be with God. If that's not already there, friends, that's where we need to start this morning and say, God, give me, give me a flame. I've talked with some people where they think like spending time with God is almost a waste of time. And when we feel that way, when we feel like spending time with God is a waste, I, I just want to say at the foundation of our relationship with God, something is profoundly wrong. It's one thing to not spend as much time with God as you would like to and still have that desire. It's another thing to not even care. When that sets in, friends, I say this as, as a brother in the Lord, I say this kindly, it is not what you want. We'll go, we'll go pass by all of the things that Jesus wants to do. He's trying to draw us. He's waking us up. He won't force us, but he will invite us. It's not a have to, it's a get to. I get to be with him. I get to see the world change to be in partnership with this loving God. It's, it's an amazing privilege. It, it really is. This is. What I'm talking about living in the secret place is not a waste of our time. 
This is what we need to live for, is live for him. The Bible says that the greatest thing a human being can be concerned with is to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And I don't believe you can even love your neighbor well if you don't love God first well. I don't even think it's possible. Now, we can't bring all that out, so we live dependently saying, God, my heart isn't where it needs to be. Would you help me? And he's like, absolutely. It's not about mustering it up. It's about coming to God humbly and asking him to light the flame. But not having some, public, uh, some kind of public spirituality to show off in or, or, or thinking that, or, or even coming to church so that we shine it on for somebody else. God doesn't want that. He wants us to have something that is abiding in our heart that, that first is private with him. And, and that's where I believe satisfaction comes from. It comes first from this. And then this isn't as difficult as we make it out to be. Somebody say amen or something. I don't know what you need to say, but get it out of you, friend. Do, do something for me. All right, here we go. Three points I want to make with you this morning out of this passage is the first one is establish a personal sanctuary. Establish a, pers- a personal sanctuary with the Lord. A sanctuary is defined as a sacred or a holy place, a place that we set apart for God, it, with God to spend time with him. Jesus would often go up to the mountain to be alone. Actually, if you look in scripture, you see other people did the very same thing in the Old Testament and, and other, other people as well, that they did that. A mountain was considered a holy place, in fact. And so you'd see that. It would be like the place where people would go to be with God. And so as we sort of think about what Jesus is saying, he says, go into your inner room to pray to the Father in secret. An inner room was basically like a storeroom or a storage room. And the reason that Jesus said, go into your storage room, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if I have a storage, we might call that a pantry, I don't know if we'd call that a pantry, but anyways, in, certain, in ancient times, sometimes the storage room was on the roof, and they had a door, it was usually the only door that they had, so he, Jesus is referencing this in a sense, for a sense of privacy, he's saying, go into your storage room, or go into your inner chambers, go in the, and shut the door, he's saying, I want you to establish a place, I want it to be a place of privacy, where you and I can spend time together, where you can pray, I want you to establish a sanctuary, it's really, uh, really important, and I personally have found that where you pray can be very important. When I, 15 years ago, when I first started learning about spending time with God in the secret place, I've been a Christian for 16, but I, I really started kind of getting a little bit of understanding on, oh, spending time with God alone, not just uh, reading the Bible, but in prayer and, and relationship, trying to develop that. I, uh, I, I tried it in my bedroom at like, get up at 5.30 in the morning before work, and, and I'd sit up in my bed, and what, what do you guys think I did? Yeah, exactly. And it was really profound. God was giving me dreams and revelations and all kinds of stuff. His first revelation was, you need more sleep. No, it was, it was profound. So, but anyways, uh, but, but no, I mean, I found that I couldn't spend effective time with God and really hear from him and everything like that in my bed because I sleep in my bed every day. It's something, we're, we're creatures of habit. We spend time in places doing specific things, and it's hard to break those habits. So I don't, I don't want to work against the grain and try to sort of make things happen. I just, let's go find a place that I can be with God, and I set it apart just to be with him. So I, I was working on a Kirkland in those days, and I drive to Juanita Beach, and it was 6.30 in the morning. Not much goes on at Juanita Beach at 6.30 in, in the morning. Some strange things go on at 6.30 in the morning, but nevertheless, I just would be in my car, and for two years, every day, Monday through Friday, that's where I would spend time with God. I'd get there at 6.30, and I'd hang out till 7.30, and then I'd drive up to work. 
And I'd get out my journal, I'd get out my Bible, and I learned to pray, and I learned to hear the voice of God in those two years more than any other time in my life, more than any sermon taught me, more than anything anybody else said, more than any CD series. I have CD series, so I'm kind of putting that down, but more than anything else, when I just sat with God, my ears begin to open, and you, you start to kind of get a little nervous at first. You know what I'm saying? You get to kind of... Like start to wonder about things that you got to do during the day and you start to wander. And I read a book by Jack Hayford and he, he talked about the wandering thoughts. And he said, basically, when you get a wandering thought, write it down on your journal and move on with prayer. And that's what I started doing and it worked. And then before you know it, about seven, eight, nine, ten months into it, the wandering thoughts started to more go away and I could actually focus on my time with the Lord and begin to hear him better. It was, it was awesome. And, and, and that's where I begin to establish a secret place with God. Well, I, or I left the job in Kirkland and so that place was no longer a place I could drive to. So I had to learn and I ended up in the Fred Meyer parking lot because the Fred Meyers has a back parking lot and nobody parks back there. I don't know why people have parking lots that nobody parks in, but they're out there. And I, and, I, and I spent like two and a half years parking every day, and I wonder what people thought of me. I mean, seriously, what is that guy doing? <laughs> I'm praying. That's all right. I'm just, you need, me, you need some prayer? You know, it was awesome. So I would spend time. I'd just literally park in the parking lot of Fred Myers for about two and a half years. Every day I'd go to Fred Myers except for the weekend. And that's what I learned. I learned to have a secret place with God. It was awesome. And I just felt like my car was holy and set apart for some reason. I know it sounds like it sounds like, but I couldn't, I couldn't get any holy place at home. I couldn't, you know, I mean, at my kitchen table, I eat. At my, in my bedroom, I sleep. I, I felt like establishing a personal sanctuary really helped me. And it makes sense when Jesus says, go into your inner room. It, makes, it just makes sense to me. I get it. It's very, very helpful. If you haven't done that, I encourage you. I encourage you to do that. The second thing that Jesus teaches is he teaches us to shut the door. So the reason that he said go into your inner room because it was the one place that had a door and he says, I want you to shut the door. That one will preach right there. Somebody just needs to write a message called shut the door. I mean, just sounds very Pentecostal and TBN almost, but it's amazing. And, and Jesus was sort of, he was teaching, you need to learn to shut the door, meaning you need to shut yourself in with God and shut yourself out, shut all the distractions out of your life. Shut the door that the hustle and the bustle and all the stuff, I mean, their distractions aren't our distractions. Is that true? I mean, they didn't have iPhones and televisions and radios, and they didn't have any of that stuff. So their distractions were probably significantly less than ours, and Jesus still told that generation to shut the door. He still told them to go into a private place where you can, where you can be just with me. People ask me, how do I learn to hear the voice of God? I think it's connected to learning how to shut the door. Shut the, what does it mean to shut the door in your life, the distractions in in your life. I, I'm one of these weird, I like to read statistics kind of peoples. I know they're not always accurate, but they're kind of fun. And this week, for some reason, I read an article on ABC, and it basically was talking about the addiction that we have to our smartphones. And uh, I, I know some of you don't have smartphones. Uh, uh, my dad doesn't have a smartphone. He still has a flip phone. He would prefer people to be smart, but he's, a, he's sort of in a different category. But he... Uh, <laughs> But he just doesn't even know what a smartphone is. He, he honestly doesn't. He's 64. He, just, he doesn't even care. And he's going to die not knowing what a smartphone is or not caring. And he's actually told me that before. Uh, but it was talking about how people use their smartphones. And the average user, according to these online polls, is that people look at their smartphones 150 times a day. Right? It, it's kind of a weird thing because some of the things that they said I actually do, instead of looking at our watch, we check our smartphone. 
watch is right there, and we're fumbling around, finding, what time is it? Which is like, <laughs> you know, yeah, the battery's been gone for 10 years or something. I, mean, I don't really know. It's, it's just, it's sort of a weird thing, but we're so, we're so distracted, and we don't even realize it. We use the smartphone all the, all the time, and it, 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 might, it might not be making us smarter, sort of an idea, but... Uh, but it talked about people even before 7.30, I don't know why it was 7.31 a.m., but before 7.31 a.m., people in, will be in their bed and check Facebook and email and Twitter before they even get out of their bed. Some of you just smiling because you, you know exactly. See, I've never done that. I have never. I just lied right now. I just. And there's a few of us that are saying, no, I never checked Facebook, but you did check your email, so you know that some of that's true. And so these polls were kind of funny, but it, what it really leads us to understand is that we're a very distracted generation, whether it's smartphone or you could say, well, I don't do that. What about television? I mean, the average American is like an hour to two hours a day. And it's just, I'm not, I mean, I like watching shows. I'm not going to lie to you. I think that there's a limit. Uh, moderation is important. I personally watch Shark Tank. I know I shouldn't do it, but it sort of keeps my sanity together. I don't really agree with their worldview, but if you've watched Shark Tank and if you haven't, you might go home and do that. It's a pretty awesome show. But, but so I, I'm not saying watching television is wrong. It's just that we are so distracted. Agreed? Yes. Agreed. We just, we just can be so distracted. And I just felt like the Lord was ministering to me like, if we have a better relationship with our iPhone <laughs> than we do with the Lord... There's no wonder we don't hear his voice. I mean, you could get the next CD. You can have whoever in the world lay hands on you. You can't pray a distraction away. You got to shut the door. I know who said that. You're buying me coffee. It's not worth repeating. If we have a better relationship with our iPhone than we do with the Lord, we've got to learn to shut the door. If you come up and ask for prayer, don't ask for prayer, and I, I mean this wherever you're at, ask for prayer, I'm sorry, but we cannot pray distractions away. You've got to shut the door. Get, get with God and shut the door in, in your life. What are the distractions that we have in our life? What are they? What are they for you? Ask the Lord to show you those things and help, ask him to help you. Lord, help me to shut the door on this. Not because it's bad, but because this is more important. It's a priority issue. It's a priority issue. And we internally prioritize by default and often don't even know it. We just do. We just, our, our system just works and we automatically do things and we don't even realize it. And the minute we shift because our values are really this and we're, we're, doing, we're doing A and our values really B, we've got to, it's, it's, you can feel the pain of changing your life. You can feel it sometimes. It's just the part of you is starting to die. I want to tell you, when you start to establish a secret place with the Lord, when you get there the first month, it's kind of painful at first. I'm not going to encourage you like, it's, oh, it's just bliss. I mean, you'll have those days, but sometimes you feel the pain of spending an hour with the Lord. You just feel the pain of it. It's just like, oh, because your flesh just wants to go. You're, you want to do this and you want to do that and I want to do this. I got things on my mind. I got places to go. I got things that I've planned and I can feel my flesh saying, get out of here. And we've got to learn to silence, shut the door on our flesh and our feelings because being in the secret place with God is more important. Cultivating relationship with God is, is what we were made for. 
It's what we were made for. There's no better thing that we can have than this. There's nothing, there's nowhere that we can go that's going to satisfy us more than this. Nothing. I like the right side right now. I just really, because we, I need to move on. The third thing I want to talk to you about just real briefly is we need to not only establish a personal sanctuary and shut, learn how to shut the door, but we need to learn to relate to God as Father. Jesus uh, talked about this extensively, I believe, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, and then it really is the message of the Bible is that we were created for a relationship, and the kind of relationship just blows our mind. We were created to be sons and daughters of God and Him being our Father. It's amazing. And, I, and Jesus, even when He taught people to pray, because I'm teaching sort of the context of prayer, and later on in this verse, Jesus talks about the content of prayer or how to pray, what categorically we should pray about. I'm sort of setting it up and I, we're not going to continue it, but I'm talking more about the context, like the where and the when and that, and that sort of thing. But, but Jesus, he, he, when he's talked about when to pray or how to pray, he would say, the first thing you start with is our Father. Our Father. You come to God relationally, not religiously. You come to him relationally. And I think it's amazing that Jesus first taught people how to not pray before he taught them how to pray. What did he say right in the verse that we read? He said, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray and they love to be seen by people. I don't want you to be like that. I want you to be seen by the Father. That's that. It, it, again, prayer, public prayer, is nothing wrong with that. We need, we need to have public prayer. But it needs to be born out of the secret place. It needs to be born out of what we have with the Father. That, that's, where, that's where we don't end up feeling this sense of duplicity. We don't feel this sense of hypocrisy, that we're just sort of living in the public place, the public place spirituality. We have a, we have a secret place that, that causes a fruitfulness in the public place. It's powerful. It's, it's, what, it's, what, it's what we need. He says, don't pray like the hypocrites. They want to be seen by, by people. Don't do that. And then he also says, don't pray like the pagans. And the pagans just babble on, and you know, if you've seen Clash of the Titans, it's like they'll do anything to get their God to respond to them. It's like if they just do this or they just do that, they do it more or bigger or better or whatever, and then, then the deity has got to respond because we've done so much, we have just twisted your arm and we've made you respond to us because you have to now. Striving and all of this to get a response out of God. It doesn't work. Jesus is saying you got to come relationally. He even goes as far as saying your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask. So guess what? You can't perform to make God answer you. You just come relationally. Doesn't that, that takes some pressure right off. I just want to say amen to that. That's awesome. You just come relationally to God. He loves you already. He's your dad already because Jesus connects us. If we believe on Jesus, we have the connection already. It's incredible. So we don't come with pretense and we don't come with performance. We just come and we say, dad, I'm here. I am here to talk to you. What a lovely, beautiful picture of, of, how, it really, of how it really works. I, um, this last week, my daughter, her name's Azariah. She's eight. She's my beautiful princess. We got three boys and one girl. I always tell her that she's special right in front of the boys. <laughs> no problem with that at all. <clears throat> and so she was having a sleepover with her, her little buddy across the street, and, and she's so excited. So like all week, she's just like, I can't wait till Friday. I can't wait till Friday. And we're at dinner, and we're like, you know, we're sort of tolerating it. Uh, and uh, yeah, we know, honey, you can't wait till, 
Can't wait till Friday. We're just sort of chopped liver in the means to get there. We get it. <laughs> I mean, we're with you every day. It doesn't matter though, right? So, but anyway, she's like, I can't wait till Friday. I wish it was Friday. And then it just started, I wish it was Friday. I wish it was Friday. And, and, and something I noticed was my six-year-old son, Judah, as I began to look at his face when she was saying that, he started to get a little down because he didn't have a little buddy coming to do a sleepover. And I discerned it, just a fatherly discernment. And I looked him in the face one night, probably Wednesday night, and I said, hey, buddy, you and me, Friday night, man night. And he was like, yeah. Yeah. He's like, seriously, he's my, I call my sweet warrior because he, he's a puncher, right? And it's very dangerous. But, but he's also like the sweetest little hugger. And if you've seen him around and you've hugged, he's, he's both. He's incredible. And so anyways, but he, he was so excited. So Azariah was like, I can't wait till Friday. And, J- and Judah's like, and I can't wait till Friday either. It's me and dad. We're going to hang out, you know. And so, and it was no competition, of course, in our house at all. But, but anyways, Judah, I said, Judah, you can do whatever you want to do, we'll do. You get to choose. And he sort of thought like, uh, he sort of thought like money wasn't uh, an object. I didn't really get that. But we're a little different there. But he, so he kind of just drums up this thing in his mind, and I had to tailor it back to what was reality. And so we get to Friday night, and I get home, and he's just so excited. And so he leads us through playing video games. And I hate video games, but I love my son. So we're playing video games. It's just really weird. And so, and, but then we watch this movie that he really wants to see, and that was, that was fun. And, just, and he's just got his arm around me like the whole time. And, it was just, it was really, and he's like that with me. It's just so fun. And, and uh, he's just war- warming my heart, just warming it right? Just an oven, all right? And, and I was enjoying it. And I remember uh, when we all went, to, when they went, to, we put everybody down for bed and Azariah's in her room with her friend and they're, they're still up even though it's bed, but they're still, you know how it works. And so, but then Judah's like feeling a little down because he's like, well, man night was fun, but like they're still in there talking. And so he begs me, he says, dad, just come in and talk with me. It's, and I'm like, okay. So I just go in there and I lay on the bed with him and I'm just staring at him and he's like, so what do you want to talk about? And I go, <laughs> I'm kind of talked out, buddy. <laughs> you know, man night was really fun. So I'm just, I'm tapped out. And so, so I'm laying down and we're staring at him and something of God just, it, 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 fathers and mothers, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and you, can, you can hear this, but like sometimes just something drops on you from the father, from and I'm staring at him, and he's talking to me about video games or something. And, and, uh, and he wanted, it's like he practically begged me to, to, to be there with him in, in that moment to talk with me. And I just, it was like the father saying, just giving me the heart to want to be like that with him. It was like the father just, it was like he just dropped his heart. It was like a massive download from God. Like, Ben, I want you to have that kind of heart to be with me. I want you to have that heart. And I realized there's, there's more for me to have, more for me to grow in. And I was like, Lord, that's, that's exactly what I want. Give me, give me the heart of my son in wanting to be with his dad. It was profound. It, it, it was transformational. And so relating to God as father, it's like, how do we get our spirituality from the public place to the secret place? We do that by seeing him as our dad. That has to shift, seriously. Or it's going to be religion. Friends, you're not going to get out of it. You will not get out of a religious way of being without a new perspective of who God really is to you. And Jesus said, your father sees in secret. I mean, I look at that and I go, man, that's, that's incredible. Because I'm not even good at religion. You know what I mean? Like, I just leave polished at the door. And I just think God loves 
to reveal who he is to us so that we can step further into this. That that fire for God to be in the secret place with the Lord, I pray that that's imparted to us this morning from the Holy Spirit. Sherry, if you would come, I need to close at this time. I've taken you just a few minutes over. We want to go deeper. The only satisfaction is found in first having a secret place with God that grows into the public place. Listen, listen to this. No more just public Christianity. Okay? Nothing wrong with public Christianity. No more just public Christianity. It's not what we were made for, and that is what the world doesn't want. They want to see real people who are in relationship with a real God, and there's a flame in their heart. That will dazzle this world to see a people in love. So in love that they spend time with him, and it's not a waste at all. I, um, before I pray, just this vision kind of came back to me. I, last night, my wife sits down. Since we did the fast, we've been praying every day together. It's been awesome. And when you pray together with your spouse, it just draws you closer, right? So we committed to that. And so we've been trying to do it every day since because we get busy just like the rest of us. And she sits down and she's like, okay, let's pray. She's about to, she goes to bed early and I go to bed late. So we just have that difference. She sits down, and I went over to grab her hand, and the minute I grabbed her hand, I went into this vision. I have visions sometimes. I I can't make God give them to me, but I went into this vision, and I saw this faucet just beginning to flood with water. It was incredible. It's like I just touched my wife's hand, and in my mind and in my heart, I saw this vision and this, this big, like, faucet that would be kind of like at a well where you would pump it. The water just began to flow right as we started, touched hands and started praying. I just, friends, I just believe what we're looking for to flow into our life is going to only come from a deep, abiding, secret place with the Lord. You touch that and what you're looking for starts to flow. Let's not be surprised when the flow's not there if this isn't what we're after. Let's go after that. Amen?